ever known somebody who was, um, well, just seemed like maybe they were phoning it in? Heard that phrase? It's used to express when someone is maybe giving minimal effort, right? Uh, We might accuse a sports team of uh, not performing to the level that they're capable of. We say that they're maybe just phoning it in today, right? Or uh, someone at your job is tired and sluggish and barely accomplishing anything, uh, or they're just phoning it in. There's a lot of people who might be tempted on Mondays to phone it in, right? Uh, The the term actually comes, maybe you know this, I I had to look it up. Uh, The term comes from the world of American theater. During the early 1930s, there was a popular joke among theater actors alluding to having a role that was so small, so minuscule, that it was possible for them to not even show up, that they could just call in on the phone and uh, perform their part and not even have to appear on stage. They were just phoning it in, right? When it, when it comes to something like prayer, I think there are times when there's a temptation to phone it in. We might just go through the motions. We take a few seconds to say a sentence or two. Maybe we recite a memorized prayer, and then without too much inconvenience, we go on to the next thing. And I I think that's one habit that people can slide into when it comes to prayer. Another habit might almost be the opposite of phoning it in, and that is that, that, that we're all in and we pray when there's a crisis. We, we, uh, we don't pray much at all, but then when there's a big crisis, then we, we pray. When the world is falling apart around us and we've tried everything else and we can't seem to solve the problem and, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's just overwhelming, then, then we cry out in prayer, desperate for God to intervene right now. Maybe you've heard the story of the, the fly and the praying mantis. The fly looked up at the praying mantis and and asked, what are you doing? And the mantis said, I'm praying. And the fly said, don't be stupid. Insects don't pray. And then the mantis reached down and grabbed the fly in his his claws. and, And right away, the fly began to say, our father who art in heaven. Everyone is religious in a foxhole, they say, right? When it comes to crisis, we pray. And I'm sure you've done probably both of those things. You've, you've phoned it in at times in prayer, and you've prayed in a crisis. And in both of those extremes, I think we're treating prayer almost like that it's this magic thing that we do. We just say the magic words, right? If we're, if we're just going through the motions, we just figure that, that if we say some words that we know, then it counts somewhere, right? We, we prayed. We said the words. Or in the crisis, we recite the thing, uh, even if we haven't prayed in years, we, we, we recite the thing, we say this, and uh, now it feels like we did something, and, and God's going to come to our aid. But neither of those things fulfills the true purpose of prayer. And I, I, the true purpose of prayer is simply to connect us with God. This fall, we're going to be walking through a very famous prayer that's been around since the time of Jesus. You may be tempted to, 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 to pull this out in a crisis and, and say the magic words when you want God to intervene. Or maybe more likely, you could slip into a, a habit where this prayer becomes ritual and rote and just some familiar phrases that have lost their meaning. And so as we recite it, we're just phoning it in. We just say the words. But either way, we're missing the intent of this most, I think I'm safe to say it's, it's the most well-known prayer in all of Christendom. Uh, maybe even outside of the Christian faith, it's still uh, the most well-known. It's the Lord's Prayer. 
The, the Lord's Prayer appears in, uh, in two of the Gospels in the New Testament. The version where you're probably most familiar with comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and there's a shorter version in, in Luke chapter 11, verses 2 to 4, where it's presented in the context of, of Jesus uh, responding to his disciples as they ask him to teach them to pray. And certainly, as, as we come to the Lord's Prayer, I, I think it's debatable whether Jesus wanted his disciples uh, and, and his followers down through history to recite these words as a ritual uh, performed in the same way every time, or, or if the Lord's Prayer is supposed to be a general model for what to pray and how to structure prayer. I think the answer to that debate is yes, it's probably both. Some of those... Uh, uh, more uh, liturgical traditions. Maybe you come from or grew up in a church that was that was more. Uh, I don't know. They they call them a mainline denomination or a liturgical practice. Where maybe you grew up reciting uh, the, these things, including the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you memorized it somewhere in uh, in a class or a Sunday school or, or something along the way. Uh, uh, for better or for worse, however, more more evangelical churches uh, in more recent times that haven't used liturgy as much in our corporate work. And, and, and so we haven't regularly recited creeds and prayers uh, in, in the church. The, the main reason, I think, has been to promote a more active, meaningful, personal worship experience uh, 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 instead of just uh, reciting things uh, that, that felt like maybe we were just phoning it in, just saying these words, but they didn't have a lot of meaning to it. But it, it's true that, that liturgy and ritual can become just an exercise of, of reciting words. But if you've ever read the liturgy from them, some of these traditions, then you know that it is deep with meaning and significance and, and it can be very helpful. And, and the Lord's Prayer is no different. There is no need for a prayer like this one to be an empty ritual. Ritual can, can actually help guide our spiritual lives and keep us on track. When words may fail or, or we're tempted to get caught up in emotion, prayers like the Lord's Prayer can give us words for what we're feeling. They can center us back on what's most important. So today, uh, we're going we're gonna, to uh, look at this prayer and begin to, and over the next few weeks this fall, we'll be unpacking this to see how, uh, how we can uh, uh, learn from it and apply these truths to our lives lives. We're, uh, we're, we're going to be praying with Jesus as Jesus taught us how to pray. This is, uh, let, let's go ahead and read this together. This is from the New International Version, so it's, it's not, uh, it doesn't say who art in heaven uh, uh, and, and things along those lines. It's uh, modernized a bit, but uh, let's read it together from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We kind of recited that in the first song this morning, didn't we? We'll, uh, we'll probably be singing that a couple more times throughout uh, this series as well. Here's the, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer passage from Luke. I'll read it to you uh, in the context of, uh, of where Luke puts this, this uh, instruction uh, of Jesus. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, uh, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say... 
Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. I, I, I like the context in, in, uh, in w- uh, where, where Luke puts this prayer. And, and I mean, I have to believe as, you know, the, the, the gospels uh, come at it from all angles and uh, have organized their, the stories differently. I, I think Jesus probably uh, taught them this on more than one occasion, right? And uh, the context in which Luke puts this is that the disciples, uh, I mean, it's, it's part of a vulnerable moment when the disciples admitted that they were having trouble with doing this very basic thing. They were having trouble praying. Uh, they, they weren't preachers and teachers. They weren't professional Christians, right? They were, most of them were working class guys who were doing their best to keep up with Jesus as he led them. And, and they, were, they saw Jesus praying all the time, so they asked him if they could learn how to do it like he did. And that makes me feel better because sometimes I struggle with prayer too. And I, the argument could be made that I am a pro- professional Christian, right? Um, maybe... Just maybe you can relate as well because maybe you have some struggles in the area of prayer too. The series is called Praying with Jesus. And so we need to know, we need to realize, and as we've already alluded to, Jesus prayed all the time. He had a, a vibrant prayer life. He, he stayed in close proximity to God, his Father, uh, throughout his life and ministry. Uh, we can't read all the passages this morning, but the Gospels are filled with references to Jesus praying regularly, often in the morning, usually in solitude. He's also seen many times praying publicly. Uh, prayer is mentioned during the great uh, crises and decisions of his life, his temptation, choosing the 12 disciples, his, his final departure to Jerusalem in the garden before he's betrayed, and even even on the cross. John 17 is a whole chapter that consists of Jesus' prayer for and with his disciples in the upper room. There are several instances where we catch a glimpse of Jesus' uh, closeness with his father uh, when, when God proclaimed a couple of different times that, that, uh, that, that he was pleased with Jesus, right? And, and God's voice actually comes from the clouds and, and tells the crowds that, that he is pleased with his son, that closeness of a relationship. Uh, Jesus calls God Abba or uh, Papa in, uh, in, in Mark 14, 36. And in John eleven forty one and 42, outside of Lazarus's tomb, as Jesus is, is uh, raising Lazarus from from the dead, he, he says this, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus' a closeness with God, especially in his, in his prayer life, is, is, uh, is a theme that runs through the Gospels. Jesus had a deep prayer life and extended so much beyond the 38 Greek words that make up this, uh, this, this prayer in Matthew uh, chapter 6. The rest of the New Testament uh, also shows that Jesus wasn't just, it wasn't that Jesus was a man of prayer, but that he still is. Romans 8, 34, uh, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, here's where Jesus is and here's what he's doing. He is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, praying for us, lifting our needs to the Father on our behalf. Hebrews 7 uh, says much the same thing in verses 24 and 25. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. 
So uh, Dr. Michael Lodahl, professor of theology at Point Loma Nazarene University, uh, writes this. It does not seem a stretch at all to imagine that Jesus still prays the prayer he taught his own disciples to pray. So when we pray, there is a profound sense in which we can be assured that we are praying with Jesus. Kind of cool. Through this study, uh, I'd like us to do more than just phone it in as we recite the the prayer, right? Uh, Praying the Lord's Prayer is praying along with Jesus, following his example of not only how to pray, but how to live. And so we're going to start with just that first phrase, our Father in heaven. Jesus encourages us to call God by the same name that he does, Father. It's, the, it's actually the first word. If, if we knew Greek, anybody? I don't either. Uh, but uh, uh, if we knew Greek, we'd see that this, this in Greek, the word Father is actually the first word in the prayer. Uh, it's, it's, it's instead of our Father, it's Father, comma, of us, or ours. Father, ours, instead of our Father. So in the Greek, uh, Father is the first word. And, and in praying this and starting off in this way, uh, Jesus is extending a, an amazing, almost mind-boggling invitation right pray like this father it's mind-boggling because in order to call God father you've got to be in the family right Growing up, I spent a lot of time with, uh, with, with friends we'd ride bikes and we'd play ball and we'd go on adventures and we'd get in all sorts of mischief. And many times we'd hang out at each other's houses and we'd eat meals around each other's tables and, and we'd watch movies in each other's living rooms and, and we'd ride in each other's cars to and from events and, and we'd even have sleepovers uh, in each other's bedrooms or even better in a tent in the backyard, right? We, were, we just enjoyed, I just had, had some great friends growing up and, and I have great memories of, of those friends and of their families, uh, their moms and dads and their siblings and we were, we were decent kids and we didn't get into much trouble. We had, we had, I had great relationships with each other's families we were great friends but we weren't family right I mean we were close and all but some things are reserved for family that's a a special relationship when I was at my friends houses their parents didn't give me chores to do right maybe they should have I don't know Uh, I I never got an allowance over there at their house uh, of course, there were certain expectations of how we needed to behave, but I don't remember ever being punished by one of my friend's parents. And, and I never uh, called any of my friend's father's dad, Mr. So-and-so, right? Uh, why, why was it? Because I wasn't family. I, we were good friends, but I wasn't in the family. So it's a pretty significant thing that, that, that Jesus invites us to address his father as our father. Right? Because right out of the gate, he teaches us how to, as he's teaching us how to pray with him, he extends this incredible invitation. He says, join the family. Before you even get started, let's be in the family. Come and join the family. So that's where we have to start as we begin walking through what it means to pray with Jesus. Are you in the family? Are you a child of God? Uh, It's the very first step in praying with Jesus. It can't be just a ritual of saying some magic words. You are invited to connect with God as your loving heavenly father. It starts right there. God loves you and he wants to adopt you into his family. No place better that that is spelled out than in Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 14. 
Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. When, when you invite God into your life, when you commit yourself to following him, then he makes you his child. You can call God Papa, just like Jesus did. Uh, in, in, in all but uh, one prayer that, uh, that is recorded in the Gospels, uh, every single prayer except one, Jesus referred to God as his father as part of that prayer. And you are invited into that intimacy of a relationship with a loving father who wants what's best for his children. As we start this study, we need to realize that that invitation is extended to each of us. Maybe you've taken God up on that offer uh, and and you've been living as a a child of God for years. Or maybe that's something that's completely foreign to you and you're kind of going, how does that work? Or somewhere in between, wherever you are on that continuum, the invitation is always there. Join the family, become a child of God. Uh, believe in, in, uh, in God, in Jesus, in what he has done for you and how he has, he has forgiven you. Come to him, join the family. Are you in the family? There's also a, uh, an assumption there of obedience, right? Jesus' relationship with God was always one of obedience, following him at every turn, and Jesus urges us here in this one-word title for God to be in the family, that, that if you're in the family, then you're following God, you're following the Father, you're living in close relationship with him, you're doing what he wants you to do, you're, you're in, a, in a, 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 an up-to-date, close relationship, you're not rebelling against, but you're, you're living for him. Our first challenge as we learn to pray with Jesus is to confirm that we're following God, that we're obeying his direction, that he is our father. So the second word in Greek, the first word in English in this verse is our. Let's look at that for a second. This, this is not meant to give us the impression that we own God, right? That he's ours uh, and in some way that we control him. Well, he's my God and he needs to do whatever I want. That's not what this, uh, this is uh, indicating. Instead, this term simply acknowledges that, that, that we're not following God, our Father, in isolation. We're doing this together. This is a, this is a, 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 a joint venture, Someone has said that no Christian is an only child. We, we follow God together. Look around you today. These are your brothers and sisters, like it or not. Don't tell me whether you like it or not. Just receive that. That's, churches gone, uh, in days gone by used to be in churches. It was very common for people to call, call each other sister such and such and brother so and so, right? Because we were siblings in, uh, in, in, in our joint belief, in our joint faith. My, my father was an only child and my mother has one sister. So I grew up with one aunt, one uncle, and three cousins. That was the extent of my extended family. And then I got married and uh, I started meeting Rebecca's side of the family. And I think there are still people I haven't met yet, and we've been married for 30 years, right? They're, they're just, it just goes and goes and goes. Most of them don't even quite know how they're connected. You talk to them, well, I think it's that, but, but they know they're kin, right? And, uh, and, and it's complicated, and it's fun, and it's challenging, and it's great. Uh, 
all at once. Kind of like the church. It's complicated and it's fun and it's challenging and it's great all at once because we're in this together. So as a part of the family of God, as we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're not only praying with Jesus, in a very real sense, we're joining voices with millions of Christ followers over the past 2,000 years who have also prayed these words and sentiments. And not just that, but we join millions of Christians around the globe today who pray with us as our spiritual siblings, our cousins, our crazy uncles, however you want to determine who they are. The Lord's Prayer emphasizes that we are together in our walk with God. We are not alone. Theologian Marjorie Hewitt Suchaki spent time in foreign countries working and worshiping with fellow believers, primarily in Africa. And, and here are some of her thoughts about praying the Lord's Prayer while she was in those, uh, those gatherings as a, as a foreigner, per se. She says, when, when the time comes in the service for the people to unite in the cadence of this particular prayer, I know I am at home in the spirit of Christ. As I softly join in the prayer with my foreigner's tongue, I know that the language of the prayer uniting us is deeper than the differences of speech that otherwise separate us. The Lord's Prayer is itself an ever-living creation of unity. We caught a glimpse of this a couple weeks ago with our bilingual service, right? We are, we are part of a global church. Whether we speak the same language or not, we pray in the context of community. Even if, you know, in other places in scripture, it talks about going to your prayer closet and closing the door and, and okay, you're, you're alone in that moment, but in a spiritual sense, you're not shut off from everyone and everything. You are still praying together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are part of a fellowship of believers. He is our father we're just two words in and already we could uh, keep going on and on about the significance of those two words he is our father he is our father are you in the family are you together with each other there's, a, there's a, a, an element of unity there too, right? That we need to be unified together as the family of God, with children of God together, that the church, and the, the, the big thing is if, if we, we think about Jesus praying, John 17, we could, we could dive into that where, where John 17, Jesus is praying uh, with his disciples and for his disciples and for those who would follow Christ after his disciples, which is us. And the biggest primary, primary thing he prays in that prayer is for unity, that, that we would be one. That's incorporated here as Jesus is teaching his disciples, teaching us how to pray with him, our Father. And then the next two words, in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Several weeks ago, I used a big theological term for God that he is omnipresent. Remember that, Psalm 139? Uh, He is everywhere all the time. But now this prayer, Jesus prays, this big famous prayer, that this says that God is in heaven. Is, is he everywhere all the time or is he in heaven? I guess the answer is yes, right? Well, what's that all about? How do we, how, acknowledging that God is in heaven indicates that he is above and over everything. It shows that the intimacy that we enjoy with God as our father is balanced by the mystery and awe of his greatness as God above all things. It, it shows his authority, and it shows that he has the resources to answer our prayers. Uh, uh, 
couple of theologians, Will Williman and Stanley Hauerwas, uh, say this. We are bold to pray for such absurdly extravagant gifts as bread for the world and peace among nations and healed marriages, cured cancer, rain, because we pray to the Father in heaven, the one who rules. At, at the outset, in this first phrase of this prayer. Jesus is emphasizing that we are praying to a God who is not only personal, he's our father, but he's also the ruler of the universe, all powerful with all of the resources to answer the prayers that we're praying to him. When we pray, our words don't just go floating out into the cosmos somewhere, right? Our prayers are heard by a God who has the power to act. Our Father in heaven. He is God. He is Father, and He's ours together. Jesus invites us to pray these amazing things with Him. I want to tell a story uh, that that is in one of uh, Max Lucado's books called "Before Amen." Max tells about the. Uh, a time when he was, uh, years ago, he was sitting in a piano recital where his daughter uh, was, was playing and, and she, she had an off day. Maybe you've been there in that recital when your kids are uh, uh, so ready to perform and they've practiced so much and you could play it for them almost, right? But then uh, they get there and they have a mental block and they just can't and that's what happened to Max's daughter that day. She had a mental block and, and, and hit some sour notes and, and uh, uh, Max tells it after it seemed, seemed like minutes of silence it just went on and she was trying to figure it out and she took a couple runs at it and couldn't get past it and and finally uh finally she made it through he writes these words but the damage had been done she stood up from the piano bench chin quivering and curtsied the audience offered compassionate applause she hurried off the stage we scurried out of our seats and met her at the side of the auditorium she threw her arms around me and buried her face in my shirt oh daddy she said. That was enough for me. If a hug could extract embarrassment, that one could have. At that moment, I'd have given her the moon. And all she said was, oh, daddy. Max goes on to say, prayer starts here. Prayer begins with an honest, heartfelt, oh, daddy. And that's where we begin as we pray with Jesus. Our Father, you are God. We believe with all of our hearts that you have the power to act. You are in heaven. And yet you're not out there somewhere, but you're right here with us as our Father. Lord, I pray that in these moments that your spirit would move and work and that we can truly just just crawl up in your lap and to pour out our hearts to you and to let you know what's going on and to allow you to speak to us and to encourage and strengthen us and do what only you can do in our hearts today. You are, you are a good, good father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.